Hello and welcome to The Change Troubleshooter. This is Nina Dar's podcast. In today's podcast, Nina is joined by Yasmin Hurst and Pete Allen, both of whom worked with Nina at her consultancy, Cheeky Monkey Business Solutions. They are going to discuss the question Nina has posed. Is change a team sport? A question inspired by the recent Adidas campaign to celebrate 50 years of their superstar trainer. The three of them will talk about real experiences they have had in managing change and teams. So let me introduce you to Cheeky Monkey number two, Yasmin Hurst. Hi, Nina. And Cheeky Monkey number three, Pete Allen. Hi, Nina. And we are having a lovely time today, sat round the cheeky monkey table, something that hasn't happened for years. And it's a lovely look back to help us tackle this first subject that we want to look at. Is change a team sport? Adidas have launched this campaign. I particularly think it is, it's pretty special. And straight away, it makes you think, is it? Is change a team sport? We're going to discuss three questions today. One, is change a team sport? Two, how do you balance the role of the individual and the team? And thirdly, what does every team need if it's going to deliver change? So we're going to cover those three points today. Hopefully we're going to leave you with something that will help your own change journey, whether that be personal or professional. So let's start with question number one. Is change a team sport? What do we think? Well, from my perspective, change can be delivered without a team spirit as such. But certainly the more successful changes have happened when there is a a spirit of team and there is a balance and a mix of individuals that make up that team and all, all have a shared vision of what that change might bring. Yeah, I definitely agree that um, a change should be a, a team sport. It is a team sport, but um, that doesn't mean that our teams are always successful. And I think that's been my experience through my career is that we need to give more thought into the structure of our team, the roles each person brings to the team and the strengths and weaknesses that every person has. Um, And without that, uh, you are more likely to fail as a team. I know, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? In that we will all have, we around this table, all have experiences where so much time and effort will be put into the business case of saying, okay, this is the change that we've got to work on. This is the financing of the change. This is the payback that's going to come. And when it comes to the team structure, then there's this quite loose bit of work that goes on. And it really depends on, you know, what company you're working for, what position they're taking, what the resourcing is like in that organisation. But with all that aside, I suppose if you average it out, normally you get the people that the company can give you rather than the people that you know the change really needs. I certainly think that's true because I've taken a different route really from from you two in the fact that I've gone in-house now within the organisations. So I work within the higher education sector now and I'm I'm within a project management office within the organisation. And certainly from from my experiences since I've been there, which is six years now, you are given the resources that can 
do the project on top of their daily job so they can be done without within the business areas for that for that time and therefore they're not necessarily the people that are going to bring you the most successful change. I know it's crazy behaviour isn't it because we know that most of the time the leaders at the top of the organisation will be saying this is the most important thing we've got to do Mm. we really need to see this change embedded and we need to see it quickly but no, you can't have the best people that we've got to do it yeah. because they have to keep the business going. So that short-term, long-term dilemma has gone on for years now and it doesn't seem to be getting better, does it? Not at all. And and I would take it one step further than that. Uh, and certainly in my experiences, I have had um, an element of ego come into, in, into the debate in terms of the structure of the team I have had individuals that want to be seen on a project team. They want to succeed and get ahead in a business, so they fight to be on a project team, even if they're not the right person for it. Um, they're hunting for glory. I've also seen people that are are filled with problems, and so the business feels that if if you can solve their problems, you will be solving something in the business. So they are also, the problem seekers are also put on the project teams because it's a belief that you need to win them round for the project to be a success. It's an unhealthy mix. It's not a balance for a team when egos play a part in it. I know. And that's what we're after, isn't it? Balance. You know, and so it's so underplayed, the balance of a team. Although taking a different view on it, I suppose... HR professionals would say we've never had more analysing of individuals, we've never had more analysing of teams, so much psychometric testing, team building goes on. I mean, even in the companies that I work with, typically they will spend a significant amount of money in trying to pull people together, trying to get them to work together better. But then when it comes to a change project, it seems that that sort of gets forgotten. So what can we do? What can we do when people like John Cotter would, you know, he had this idea of a guiding coalition. So the same principle that, you know, change is a team sport. And so you need a coalition of people that are going to come together. And he had these, as they do, really snappy things, position power, expertise power, credibility and leadership. And when you think about those things, we know, we know as leaders of change, we try and get those in our teams all the time. But when you, even if you take those things one at a time, position power, we know that how important it is to get a fantastic sponsor. Mm. That position in the organization where when you are able to name drop and say, oh, it's because X is sponsoring this project that everybody is going to listen Now, do you struggle at that point? Is that one easy? No, I don't think it's easy. I found that some of the greatest sponsors that I could have had for a project want to remain impartial. And so they don't want to be the sponsor for a project, even though their name would add weight and power to a project. And where does that come from? Well, from my experience, it tends to be whether... They can see the actual benefits that are going to be brought by that change or not. Quite often, when there when there's a, a churn of projects going through, the, the actual sponsors can't actually see what what difference it's going to make to their organisation, and so are ne- never fully bought in from the beginning. And therefore, you don't get the 
persuasion of resources coming through that actually are going to effectively deliver that change. And therefore, it's not a successful delivery at the end of it all. I know it's like this thing that we constantly find ourselves in now, where you have to do the project before doing the project mm. to prove to everybody, to prove to the sponsor that you want on the project, that the project is going to be successful before you've done the project. Yeah. Which is, I think, one of the most unrealistic situations that has really materialised in our profession. Yeah, well, the, everyone's risk averse in these... Uh... In these times, and they want more for the money. They they want more benefit at the end of the project delivery than the, than they're going to invest in it essentially. And you can't always prove that at the beginning of the project. Obviously, the business case is there to actually try and do that, but quite often it's not as um, it's not as straightforward as that. The desire for more financial certainty and the need to show quite dramatic returns on investment for change projects that maybe can't deliver that financial certainty has put us in a different position. Yeah, and I think certainly that is the case with IT projects and the system is only the enabler and you've got the massive cultural change, you know, changing all those working practices and changing how people do things and have done things over a number of years. Uh, that That's always the, the bigger part of the puzzle. You can't actually put a figure on that in terms of benefit unless it's actually adopted fully yeah. and adopted consistently. Number two, three and four in Cotter's list really of that guiding coalition on top of the position power. He has expertise, power, credibility and leadership and it's that expertise, credibility and leadership that is so needed when you find yourself in this position, isn't it? Because you, as the person that's leading the change, is normally, you're the energy, you're the catalyst, you're the driving force that's going to join this, this team that needs to be a machine together. But without having expertise, without having people with credibility, and without having some leadership, it sort of falls by the wayside. But the speed in which we are looking at these more disruptive, new technology, new introduction of products, all the new, the speed in which they come in is so much faster. Mm. So we, we have this sort of position where we know the theory, we all know the theory, and, and I don't believe I work with a single leader that doesn't believe that change is a team sport that doesn't believe that John Cotter's guiding coalition is something that they should have, but then at the same time seem to have an inability to make that happen. So as we're saying, we know people want to eat, we know people understand the theory of it, but the reality is actually this team of people that come together to deliver change can be a lot of individuals just forced together with a bit of time here and there, Normally, being asked to do more hours, sort of see the privilege of working on a change project in your own time. And I know we're not speaking for every company here. No, we're not. There are some companies who do this amazingly. Eight out of 10 of my projects, I'd say people don't get the time required to do the change that they'd really like to. And I'd say every person on that project would really like to be in that position. They would be really like to be in the position where somebody has resource planned it properly. 
They'd like to be in the position where they know they've been chosen for their expertise. And they'd like to be in the position where they know what they're going to contribute and how that is going to make a difference to the organisation going forward. So as we know, that doesn't always happen. What we tend to get is people that are thrown together and then other behaviours start to develop, don't they? And in a lot of cases, ego can start to dominate. Have either of you seen that? Surely not with me. <laughs> a little. <Right>. A little. <laughs> you, see, you see it to varying degrees in every project that, that you work on. I mean, you're right in the fact that you, you're in a luxurious position if you get an allocated project team from all the relevant business areas. Nine times out of ten, like you say, people are partially allocated to the project and, and expected to do their day job in in the same time frame. Occasionally, you'll get backfill to, to support them in that, but that's not often the case either. So you will always get uh, teams that have got the best intentions. They want that they can see the end goal. They can see how it's going to benefit them and they want to be a, a part of that success. But their day job comes into it. You know, it may not happen in the first weeks. It may happen in the build and test or whatever phase you're in at the time. But it will happen and prioritisation calls are always uh, coming into the mix. And that's when you start cutting corners on your deliveries. And that's when you need a strong leadership and a strong sponsorship to actually say, no, this this is the priority. This has got the most benefits to it. This is going to help us achieve that change and take us forward. So your priority is this project. I've definitely seen ego come into play in, in the projects I have worked on. And uh, a definite... Um, air of, uh, of arrogance that, that themselves, they would like to think it's just confidence in, in saying I can do something a little bit better than you can. But I think in, in addition to ego, we should think about the part that emotions have in, yes, in, the, in the project team too. Uh, very tied up with ego, but emotion comes into project teams and their management so, so much. And what happens when emotion plays its part is that there's a, a natural will of the leaders of the company to to dumb that down in some way. And all that happens is our change gets dumbed down in some way too. We are asked to smooth over the emotions of so many people that we, we are interacting with. And in return, we have a watered down project that has a happy path. And I think anybody that has been a project manager or worked in the delivery of change will know that very few have a happy path. <laughs> I know, and why are we afraid of emotion? I mean, that was the bedrock, really, of the human approach to innovation and change. We are humans, and as humans, we bring a set of emotions, hormones, good days, bad days, and it, it has always fascinated me why that is not acceptable. And, and also, we bring different things, and, you know, that's why the team balance is so important, why it is so important to, to look at who's playing with who. Chemistry. I mean, it's, it's building back to that. When, when I actually went to do my coaching and psychology course, I was chemistry matched as part of an entry requirement. 
And that was just to be on a course. If we did take this part of teamwork more seriously, we would be much more comfortable and already know who we were and be comfortable about talking about who we were, what our makeup is, the good things about us, the bad things about us. We'd be comfortable about that and comfortable about sharing that because we'd know we would be with a team of people who were different to us. And that's the reason we'd been put together. But sadly, like you're talking about, Yasmin, it is not like that. We're not encouraged to embrace emotions, differences in that way. We're encouraged to smooth. And smoothing down does definitely come with its consequences, which I think nicely takes us into question number two. How do you balance the role of the individual and the team? You know, we've already brought up the fact that we know, we know the leaders know all of this. We're not going to be talking about anything here that anybody, that you guys sat at home, are sat going, oh, this is new. I know you're not hearing anything in this that is new. But why do we still have to talk about it if we know it? And we still have to talk about it because we've not nailed it. So here we are, we're saying... We all three of us agree change is a team sport. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely agree. The campaign that Adidas has run is absolutely superb in my book. And one of the lines in that campaign says, by being a teacher in your craft and a student in somebody else's. What a fantastic line. It kind of sums up where I found myself for the past few years, actually, So when we're thinking about this question, how do you balance the role of the individual and the team? Isn't that what we're talking about? Finding people who are the teacher and the student? I I think so. And I think we should add to that in saying that uniqueness is a good thing in this mix. (laughs) We don't celebrate that at all. I, having worked with you, Nina, and I know you very well, would celebrate uniqueness but not everybody can do that in in their own way and and, um, I I I think by by dismissing people's individuality in a in a team and smoothing the edges as we've just said we miss something very special and we erase these overlaps where you can be a teacher and a student the, the thing about um, building a strong team is that you have an overlap in both of those things and you have it in enough places and at enough layers for your team to be super strong. I think it's, again, recognising each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses. Like you had just said that you were matched to a person in a company that had never happened to you before. That happens rarely in companies. And... I think people are not able to recognise their own strengths and weaknesses. So they bring something to the table that isn't true, that they can't pull off in effect and and fight you to the death to say that they can. <laughs> I think with me, it's it's more a case of that the, the longer I go on, the more I realise I have to learn. <laughs> not necessarily want to learn, but have to learn. And, and certainly, you know, you, you mentioned about uh, technology and the pace of change and, and certainly within the higher education sector, when you're servicing the youth uh, who have these ever increasing expectations of what technology can do for them in their learning experience. And you've got to you've got to provide that when you don't actually fully understand it as a project manager anyway, yourself. 
that's when you are leaning on your team and and you know the developers etc the systems analysts um, you're relying on those because I realise more and more that, that I've not got a full understanding of what's going on. Surely But it is having that mix, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously I'm providing that leadership management quality that uh, they don't particularly want to get involved in. So, um, yeah, we're all bringing our skill sets to it and it's a, it's a healthy experience when you've got individuals that you can draw on when you know that you've not got that knowledge yourself. So we've talked before about, we've used this word smoothing, but is a probably a more appropriate word or a more digestible word to use, balance? I don't know, I see it as two different things because my experience of being asked to smooth something over has been that I, as, a, as the leader of a project, I'm expected to fill in all of the, all of the gaps and bridge all of the personalities. And what I have always thought on that is that um, one person is not good at everything. Everybody, as we keep saying, going back to, to strengths, has their strengths. And you as the leader will have your strengths too. Like for me, I, I know I can collaborate effectively. I can communicate. I'm pretty innovative. I am good at managing a project. They are my strengths. If my project had a marketing element to it, I would need an expert to do that. If it had an accounting section to it, I would need an expert to do that. And I'm quite happy to be part of a team and to do that, but not everybody is. I think there has been an expectation, certainly on me, in the delivery of projects to fill in all of the weaknesses and it was really one of the motivations for starting my own business. As Cheeky Monkey has the tagline, um, the human approach to change, mine has the tagline, um, change without limits. And the reason it has that tagline is because as a, an agent of change within an organisation, I felt so limited by this process of having to smooth over every change. We've started to talk around several areas now. We've started to talk about skill sets, experience, personality and behaviour. These are really, that's the basket of things that we do need to balance, isn't it? You know, when we're saying, okay, how do you balance the role of the individual and team? As an individual, we have all of these things. And as a team... We need to balance all of those things. We've talked about the harsh reality about what it's like, whether you can resource plan, whether the organisation you're working for will have even enough resource to try and do it. We've covered all of those points. So I think, is there a point where we can take it to the simplest thing that when you're listening to this, that you could actually do? When I think about that, the simplest level of what could we do that would make a difference here, I suppose it's that everyone must understand where they fit and how they can contribute. That's an individual responsibility we could all take away. And I do encourage the project teams I work with to say, okay, when it gets a bit complicated, when we're all being thrown together and the typical stuff is coming out, we haven't got enough resource in this team. We haven't got such a body. We're totally lacking an expertise here. We haven't got enough time to do it. We haven't got enough budget to do it. All that, that is the normal, the normal conversation as one of my teams is coming together. And I encourage everyone to say, hang on, just focus on you for a minute. What can you do? What can you do and what do you need? 
Because as leaders of change, if every individual who came into our project team came and just thought about that, we'd have more of a fighting chance of getting that sorted, wouldn't we? Because at least we would be able to do some balancing of that. It's not even a fighting chance of getting it sorted. One of the things that brings is individual value to the team. And the more an individual feels like they've contributed, the more they'll enjoy it. The more they go shout about it to the rest of their company, their department, and it just ripples through the company. And you find that you are uh, fighting to communicate far less because your project team are communicating it for you. Yeah. But again, I think the... The leadership has a strong role to play in that from the outset of the project because there needs to be that understanding of what the benefit is, not only to the organisation but to the individuals as well. How is it going to make my life better? Is my work going to be easier as a result or is it going to be more effective Uh, or are there other benefits that I just can't see? And it's up to the initiation stage of a project where all these conversations about resource are going on and budget and timelines, etc., for that end goal to be actually communicated, why are we doing it and what are we expecting to benefit from it? And when are we gonna when are we gonna see that benefit and how are we gonna know that we are experiencing those benefits? Because are you talking quite about off, a vision. A vision for the project, yeah, because that doesn't always cascade down to the individuals, the end users, uh, that you're relying on at the end of it all to actually utilize the new system or whatever it is effectively to to achieve the benefits you fall into the trap sometimes where projects are done unto people rather than them being involved from the outset and being committed to it and quite often i i always find that that's where projects fall down the people are actually infected by it don't actually understand what's happening to them or what the actual uh, end goal is and it's that that huge question of what's in it for me is another sort of interesting turn of events that I've seen through my career, actually. Because if I think back to how I even started in change management, which is way too long ago to even admit, I took part in a competition. I was actually studying, I'd studied supply chain. That was my dissertation in my degree. That was in the 90s when supply chain was revolutionary. We were changing everything. And then actually moved into engineering buy-in. And again, it was a revolution. And I was studying for a Chartered Institute of Purchasing qualification. And they set us a competition, um, which was about um, just uh, present something that is going to be world-changing. So I presented the management of change. And again, people weren't talking about it at this time. I'm so old now. Um, and and really, the thing then was, and the line for years was, people resist change. People are scared of change. I'm telling you, that is not my line now. I don't think people are scared of change. They are numb to change nowadays, <laughs> numb. And they don't resist change. The bigger question now where I'm standing is, what's in it for me? You want me to be in this change? You tell me why. So the idea that it's all about the company vision has somehow changed a little bit. And individuals, are they're canny. You know, especially for us, we've worked for organisations where typically the workforce 
is quite loyal. So typically people, we work with people who have worked for the companies that we're trying to change for a number of years. And I think that does give a different viewpoint here. But I think most people in those organisations are, if not internally, they are also externally saying, what's in it for me? And a big turning point for me was when I realised that people do know that they could lose their jobs over the change. And I think that was a big mental shift for employees when they could stop trusting what leadership was saying, actually, because this great vision that was going on didn't actually involve them long term if the change actually went through. And it, it was, you know, this is this sort of progression of people's mindset has happened over a number of years. You know, to begin with, I can remember when I had to, had to make my first set of big redundancies as a result of a change project. And I remember saying to the client at the time, this is going to change everything. Because when people realise that they could actually lose out as a result of the change, they will question this a lot differently as we're going forward. So, you know, there are so many things here now that we have to consider, aren't they? The, this thing that we're asked to do, this thing that we're, I think, addicted to, I personally think that once you become a change agent, it's like an addiction because it's a, it's a roller coaster of emotions, not just for you as a change leader, but for the people who are on your change projects. And now that, that roller coaster of emotions is much more complex than it ever used to be. So maybe that nicely takes us into question number three. What does every team need if it is going to deliver change? You know, we've covered some pretty big topics here. I think nicely covered things that don't get talked about so much. If we want to form a team that is going to deliver change, what do we need to do? What does it need? Well, you need buy-in to, to, to what you're trying to achieve. I mean, the team has got to see that what they're doing is, is making somebody's life better, <laughs> if not their own. And the fact that they know their role in in how to deliver that change and they know that that role is valued within that change and that they are not isolated in themselves in doing it. They are part of a team that have different skills and are sharing, I'm not going to say the, the vision word again, are sharing the same objectives. So in, the, in a way, Pete, is, you know, are we saying here that when earlier we discussed financial certainty and how companies are you know, more risk averse now when it comes to having to show them what we're going to deliver before we've delivered the project and give them some certainty over that. Are we missing something here where the members of the change team have to be given some sort of certainty? I don't know whether you can anymore. I think um, you touched upon it earlier, the pace at which companies are being forced to change and I am using the word forced because technology is moving at such a pace that our working lives, the landscape of our offices, our ability to work anywhere is changing so fast that certainty is not something that can be offered. I think you are in danger of 
paralyzing yourself if you look for certainty. You have to get to a point where you're good to go, in effect. Do your due diligence and say, I am going to head towards that objective and whatever comes our way, we will adjust our sails as we go. And I have found that in the last few years, working on a lot of technology projects, that is what we have had to do. We've had an overriding objective. That's where I'd like to be. We have just had to aim for that. Set, set. I'm not saying um, you do it carelessly. You still set milestones and uh, you are still working within your team and trying to section off pieces of work. But that's your objectives along the way may change. Even your end objective may change if if things are moving faster than you are. And in a lot of cases, they are because although technology is rapidly developing, many of our businesses are way behind in terms of keeping up with that. And you could sit around a table today with any business and come up with some amazing ideas for that business and say, yes, we'd like to do this for our customer, that for our customer. If you then go and look at the data you have in the background, the systems you have in the background, you will find that you are years away from being able to implement it. And and that's going to be a hard sell in terms of change management as we move forward, because we have to sell a, a an implementation phase that is really quite long to to get someone into the future I think a lot of businesses are facing that scenario right now oh I I do too um which means that really what you're talking about is the ability to adapt yeah definitely and that um this idea of giving certainty just isn't the reality position either for people working on change projects or for the sponsors of the change projects. And actually what's going to be more important is looking at the right solution for the right problem and being more pragmatic about how you get through that execution phase. When somebody cuts the cord then and says, okay, let's switch to the endpoint. We know where this is going. So what do you need to get there? What do you say? In some cases, you're going to say, I don't know, I guess. I I have, I mean, as I've just said, we've been working on some technology projects where seeing the the end is quite difficult. And I have handled that by breaking it down into smaller deliverables. So the same overriding vision, the same objectives, but broken it down piece by piece so that you can, uh, for one, achieve along the way because that keeps your team going and it keeps the, the project in, in the eye of the business in terms of communication. Um, but it takes the focus off the complete objective of the, of the end goal and, and it does allow uh, you to manage the project in, in a more agile manner. You know, it's my belief that's uh, how change management is going to be in the future. We have to be more agile and we have to instill that into our teams to be successful, that not to fear not knowing everything. You don't need to know everything to start. Yeah, I think this bit of not knowing everything and piecing something together with the unknown is definitely where our profession is heading. It's always been there to a certain degree, 
But then I think that project management principles and qualifications sort of added a level of structure and then as I think a perceived element of joining the dots that didn't really exist because we even though we could put a really nice Gantt chart together and we could put all the milestones together it didn't mean that we could fully articulate what it would look like at the end we could it just meant that we could fully articulate some way of getting there and then Nobody had much faith in those Gantt charts. I mean, most of the time, they were pulled together with the knowledge that the leaders wouldn't really read them because they looked so big and long and detailed. You read mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm a stickler for the detail. Um, but most people were just happy that something existed and we normally put it right at the end of a project plan. So really crazy behaviour in those days. Uh, More and more now I see less project plans, but more worryingly I also see less uh, formalised risks, less formalised issues. You know, Agile brings something to this party, but I worry we're going to go wholesale from project management principles that came out of the military and aviation into Agile, which, let's face it, came out of software development, which is in completely different areas, which, again, are just adding to the dynamics that we've got to consider, which takes us back to what do we need then What does every team need if it is going to deliver change? Is it as basic as they just need to know who they're working with and what each of them are doing? I only say that because when we were doing some research for this podcast, I came across a Harvard University study where they'd taken 120 teams and discovered that less than 10% of the teams that were asked about this, agreed that they knew who their teammates were and what they did on their projects. Out of 120 teams, less than 10% even knew what each other were doing on a project. And if I'm really honest, even about the project that I'm working on now, if my project team were asked candidly if they knew what each of the people on the project team were doing and whether that could they even name the whole team and name what each of them were responsible for and what they were going to deliver? I'd say no. I'd say that, that I would say I knew, but I would say if each of those team members were asked, they would say no. I'd agree with that. I mean, there's a human tendency, isn't there, to... Uh not to work in silos but that's the end result that you you concentrate on what you've got to do and in particular when you know as we've mentioned before you're doing things in addition to your day job the the tendency is just to concentrate on the smaller picture get get my tasks done so that i can report in my weekly project team meeting that i've ticked all your boxes on the gantt chart (laughs) we don't look at (laughs) it um so, yeah, I, I, I fully agree with the, the, the figures there. I, that's no surprise to me at all. But that, that's not where we should be, obviously. And um, hopefully 
you know, with the effective leadership that we're always asking for <laughs> and the clear vision and the clear end goals that are going to be articulated right at the start of the project, then that, that, that might take uh, take a bit of a, an upward lift, but uh, who knows. Yeah, I think there's so many people are writing about these things now. That's why, you know, we keep saying, it's not that people don't know this. We're not talking about things here that people don't know, but we're talking about them because they're not sticky. So it's about how we make them sticky. And there is another thing that I read, Jeff Boss writing in Forbes magazine, and actually it's a really long and wordy article, but the, the, the thing that's sticky in it is that he talks about three M's, mission, membership, metrics. You know, that is pretty snappy. You know, that in, in everything that we've really talked about here, we keep coming back to, we've got to know what it is. We've got to know what we're changing. We know that change is a team sport. We know it. The membership of that team is so important. And actually, we know we're failing there. And, and although there are real, genuine reasons why in every organisation they say they can't, they can't release the people, they can't release that person, do you think as leaders we have to be, we just have to be stronger in our ass for that? So the leader that asks me all the time at the moment, what is your ask? My ask should clearly be, complete membership for the project that we are about to take on and that membership covering the things that we talked about before that the membership of that team is chemistry matched that we understand that there are different skills we understand that there are different experience levels we understand that there's even a power position you know a leadership position we understand all these things and we understand that we all bring something, some random behaviour sometimes, some quirkiness, some in and out emotions sometimes, but we can deal with that. And we've got to deal with it because we're saying, you know, as the point Yasmin made earlier, we cannot, we cannot give certainty on this change. And actually that seems to be getting harder. So if we can't give certainty, we just have to adapt. And if we're going to adapt, then how that the membership of that team and how this all links together and the stickiness of all those things coming together needs to be there. Otherwise, how can we adapt? How can the team adapt? A big part of that and another great line in the Adidas uh, ad is share your strength and receive strength from your teammates. What a great line. And, and, and when you see the advert, you really sense that. Jonah Hill, who's written and pre- uh, produced the advert, has done a, a great job with this. You sense that this is a collaboration of people, old and new, who are coming together to work on an exciting project and that they are going to share their strengths. Whew, when was the last time you felt that in one of your projects? All my projects are like that. Sharing your strength, Pete. Because I insist <laughs> that we uh, embrace the, the mix of roles and uh, individual characteristics and that we uh, draw strength from each other on them. Uh, that, isn't that what everyone wants? <laughs> 
I share my strength. But it's about it's about celebrating what each other is achieving as well, because this getting out of the the silos. Because quite often, if you've got a project team that's large and can be sort of um, drawn upon from people in different countries, uh, not not necessarily working in the same office all the time, you know, quite often you lose sight of what the others are doing on the project and what is actually being achieved on the project. As a project manager, it's down to you to actually uh, ensure that that communication and, and the awareness of the, the bigger picture is is passed down to your team. Uh, and this, this now uh, takes me back completely to the cheeky monkey thing. Remember we had like a cheeky monkey Ten Commandments almost, didn't we? And the last one is that we were unafraid to have fun. Yeah. And and the, there was a huge thing about Cheeky Monkey that people knew we were smiley, we were a little bit crazy, we were out there at the days where Yasmin would be trying to delete my tweets on a Cheeky Monkey night out. <laughs> you know, we were unafraid to have fun and we absolutely celebrated with our teams, with each other. And part of that, again, in this Adidas ad, is there's a it's sort of as it comes to an end most importantly have fun if you're smiling then you're doing it right in surely you know we we are in change because it awakens every emotion you have you have to be on form you have to be the best you can be when you're delivering change and if you're not the kind of person that is smiling all the way through this this is not the job for you, is it? Uh, if I think back to those cheeky monkey days, on the days that people weren't smiling, we baked cake. <laughs> <laughs> you, you set the tone, don't you, as the leader? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you go in at the outset and you set that tone and, and you can carry that through if, if, um, if you're successful at it. But uh, more often than not, people let pressure get to them and the smile drops and uh, that's where you need to pick them up again and actually... Uh, Remember that we're all we're all in it together. You're not on your own if you're late on a task or whatever. You've got to you've got to share that strength. And that's that's something that um, we touched on a little bit, but maybe worth as we're starting to bring things to a conclusion. Maybe worth uh, talking about. You know, we talk, we have talked, and we talk a lot about strengths. But actually, in the workplace, we still talk about weaknesses a lot. Mm. And there, even though culturally most businesses have tried to move away from be, having a blame culture, pointing the finger and all the rest of it, even though they say those things, it still seems to happen. And sometimes I think we do that to ourselves. I think when things aren't going as well as they could do, the, the people who suffer the most are the, the individuals themselves that know that they're in that position they don't normally need anyone to tell them, but we're very good at telling each other when we're not doing things so well. Mm. And, and you know, I try and be good in telling people when they're doing things well, but the, the pressure to keep achieving, keep going is definitely there. So even for me, who tries to wander around smiling and making everyone feel happy, then still there comes a point where you're going, hey, we're just not doing it, are we? We're just not doing it. So what are we going to do here? And you try and make that fun, 
But at the end of the day, you know that person that, or the people that you're talking to are thinking, I don't know. I don't know how we do this because I'm already giving you more than the 10% of the time I was even allocated. And here we go. Here we go back round that circle. And I, I get it. It just goes back to the, the brilliant line you said from the Adidas campaign about sharing your strength. And, and I think we have to change our mindset that time spent fixing weaknesses is time wasted. Um, you are unlikely to be able to fix everybody's weaknesses. So you need to shift your focus on, on sharing your strengths. Uh, one person's strength is another person's weakness. That's what they say. And so when you talk about pairing people together, that's what we should be looking to do, to build that person up by providing a person that has great strength in that area and making our project teams work more together Yes, we should. And why this is important? Because, again, the Harvard Business Review has just released a study that said 90% of CEOs believe that companies will change more in the next five years than they did in the last. And the last five years have been pretty change-orientated. Having a workforce that is ready and able to harness change will be the difference between success and failure. We know as a country what we've got coming up. Brexit alone is going to bring so much change. Um, And we don't know in what form yet. So we're back to the unknown. We don't know what the impact is on most of the companies that we have relationships with today. Maybe they don't even know the consequences of that yet. So we're having to plan with the unknown again. And without fail, we know that Brexit alone gives our country massive change. The consequences of Brexit give global change. So the next five years are going to be incredible. And that's not taken into account the thing that we've touched on all the way through this which is technology change. So the com- does the combination of those two things for us in our tiny weenie country here going to be phenomenal? So if every CEO is already talking about that now, already knows this now, our message to them in this podcast today and everybody who works on a change project that is listening and uh, and hopefully having an opinion on this that you more than welcome to connect with me and give me that opinion, give me some feedback, take part in this discussion with us, then the message we're clearly giving to them is change is definitely a team sport, but we have got a bit of a way to make that happen. I do think that it is about adaptability and and getting this concept over that change is not a certain thing that delivers a black and white return on investment. Um, You have to see left and right of that picture and be adaptable and say the change is going to deliver this in the region of this it's going to take us here we're going to be able to do this with it something that clearly shows the benefit I'm not trying to get away from the metrics but takes away the pressure up front 
to be so certain about what it's going to deliver and what it's going to cost. I know that might be unrealistic, but I think that would take the pressure off to do some of the other things, which is spend more time on that team dynamic. Change is as important as day-to-day delivery. If a company has decided to change, that is as important as getting today's order out because you've decided to change for a reason. A reason that normally can divide into it's going to save the business or it's going to grow the business. Normally can be easily divided there. So it is as important. So when you're resourcing the day-to-day stuff, you've got to resource the change projects as equal. And then you've got to make it fun. (laughs) This has got to be fun for people. People have got to want to fall over themselves to be on these change projects. You want the best, the brightest. Again, again, equal pegging with those people who are delivering what the business needs today. And you want that to be the happiest environment and you want people that are coming into the business to see that is how change works for you and that everybody wants to jump on that. Madness? Sounds sensible to me. <laughs> it's not madness. It is, uh, it, uh, we have reached a, a well, I've, I think it's always been like this, but um, as you say, uh, times are changing so quickly now and um, our businesses need to adapt more. It is a case of disrupt or be disrupted. I'm in the higher education sector, so we the, the landscape is ever-changing from our perspective in terms of funding models, etc., in terms of the expectations and, and the actual people that we're pulling from being more international now, having different cultural expectations of the learning experience. And the thing is that um, the projects we're delivering and the change we're delivering is based more around improving the student experience than the bottom line, if you mm-hmm. see what I mean. So there is a different um, tilt to it. Uh, however, the the message about adaptability stands because we are in a changing environment. Brexit is going to have an impact potentially on, on the education sector. And therefore, we, we need to look at the horizon, what's coming, and get ourselves in the best position to do that and an ever increasing speed of change requires a more adaptable uh, resource pool and a more uh, engaged team spirit within the project delivery. I know and that is it's brilliant that you mentioned that you know I typically have a tendency to talk very corporately you know and and really actually I have to be careful for those of you who don't know that much about my background I have worked for a number of years for what I call heritage companies organizations who have been around for a long time up nearing 100 years if not well over 100 years in business and, and that brings a different dynamic. Working in education brings a different dynamic. Working in travel brings a different dynamic. And we're not saying here as part of this podcast, it is one, one size fits all. But I think, as you were saying, Pete, even though 
now it's not so much the bottom line and it's about the student experience. It's about the student experience because that ultimately does equate to your bottom line, mm. doesn't it? It's yeah, just that in education, you've gone through that cycle now. Mm. You know, I suppose if we relate that to the corporate environment, where companies suffer with staff churn, then they can say the same thing. They say, hang on a minute, when we're looking at these things, we've got to focus more on the employee experience because actually they're just voting with the feet here and they're walking out the door. And all of these things, you know, as we've said all the way through this, more and more complicated. So to keep it, to keep it simple, to keep it contained, conversations that do have an element of going off and can be series and series of podcasts in their own right. This one, this one that we tackled today, changes the team sport. We're there. No matter what industry, we get it. We agree with Adidas. We celebrate the 50 years of the superstar trainer. I do anyway. And, um, and we think their campaign is amazing. It's made us think about what does that mean? What does it mean if we say change is a team sport? We've covered the fact it should be. We've covered the fact that, you know, we would love a team of collaborators like Adidas talk about to come together, but we don't always get that. We've talked about the fact that it's full of emotions, that personality, behaviour all play a part in that. And as change leaders, we rarely get the opportunity to do the team analysis, the chemistry matching, all the stuff that goes together. We know that we always focus on things like power positioning, expertise, credibility, leadership. And we know these things actually are quite mature in what we're talking about. So how do you balance the role of the individual and the team? We kind of know these things. We've talked about them a lot. But what does every team need if it's going to deliver change? Then we said we like Jeff Boss's three M's, mission, membership and metrics. And that's what it comes down to. If you can manage to do that within the projects that you are working on today, then I'm guessing it will have a good conclusion. If you've got more to add to this, it's a debate that could go on and on. Please get in touch. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you to Yasmin and thank you to Pete. Pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for coming round the Cheeky Monkey table once more and letting us share this experience. It's been really lovely. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Nina's guests today and thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Change Troubleshooter. Nina now invites you to carry on the conversation with her directly. All contact details can be found on her website, ninadar.com Join us again for the next episode in two weeks time This has been a Sun Soaked Creative Production